It is Sunday and we have two topics for you in BC Sunday School today because my new thing is I sneak in a bonus and just check them without any notes and he knows every time. I'm just saying. I never, I haven't stumped him yet. (laughs) Yeah, it was a very important discussion today. We're going to talk about capital calls Mm -hmm. and why do VCs take multiple capital calls when the LPs send them money and then how does that affect startups and founders during a down market? Yep. And during a down market, a lot of founders are raising on one-off safes. Mm. How should I, the new VC who has never seen this before, yeah. view that? Is it a red yeah. flag or is it a good strategy? We talk about yeah, that as well. Yeah, we answer that question. Very important one as well. Do you go for the price round? Do you go for the quick safe? Very important decisions, both for investors, again, and for founders. And then we have the CTO of a company called Transera, Ross Bonner, joining the show for this weekend, Climate Startups, to talk about transforming air conditioning to Mm. save lives both adaptation and mitigation save lives as the planet gets hotter but use less energy doing it so you don't contribute to the problem amazing it's going to be a great show stick with us this week in startups is brought to you by open phone as a startup founder a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back but using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them open phone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices Visit openphone.com slash twist to get 20% off your first six months. Smash Digital. Scaling organic traffic for your startup can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Visit smashdigital.com slash twist to get a free SEO video audit for your business. You'll see if SEO is right for you and what it takes to become an industry leader. And... Dell for Startups provides key solutions for all your startup needs. A dedicated tech advisor will get to know your business goals and deliver customized solutions for rapid tech enablement with top business class PCs and accessories. Apply for Dell for Startups and check out Dell's Black Friday sneak peek sale at dell.com slash twist. All right, it's Sunday. It is Sunday. It is Sunday. Day of rest for some people. For some, for some. Other people might be in the office. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. A friend of the pod, Sam Lesson, tweeted about capital calls earlier this week. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talked about it in our group chat. You had some questions. I do. Well, and it also keeps coming up in our webinars. And it's just sort of like a big question, I think, that fundamentally a lot of people have about BC, which is like, when do you get the money? Correct. (laughs) Good question. When do you get it? What is the mechanism for asking for it? Sure. How does all that work? It's called a capital call. So a venture fund has a bunch of LPs. The LPs are called limited partners. Limited partners tend to be high net worth individuals, family offices, which is a collection of high net individuals in a family, right? You know, Waltons or whatever, but there's many of these in the country, like low thousands of family offices. Six trillion dollars in combined capital, I believe. Family offices, I'm so obsessed by as a category. Yeah. 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 And so, and then you have institutions like Harvard's endowment, MIT's endowment, and, and a zillion other endowments, Ford Foundation, retirement, anybody who wants exposure to the venture category falls into the bucket of an LP, a limited partner, they make a commitment. Let's say their commitment is to put a million dollars into a venture fund. We have a venture fund we're raising right now, Launch Fund 4. And I'm doing another webinar for it, by the way. Uh, slash 4. Oh, launch.co slash 4 if you want to sign up. Uh, or if you want to find out more, you can just email me, jason at calacanis.com. Or no, calacanis at launch.co. So that person, let's say, high net worth individual family says, we'll put a million dollars into your fund. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's say it's a $100 million fund. They're 1% of the fund. The fund is going to be deployed traditionally over three or four years. You might do the primary investment in three years and then some follow-on funding for a year or two after that. Let's just say it's four years. 
for simplicity's sake here. You will do a capital call for that million dollars from that individual. And you say, okay, we're going to ask you to send us 20% of the capital now. And then four other times, you'll ask for 20%. So you'll ask for 200K five times. Mm -hmm. And why wouldn't you ask for the million up front? Well, people want to fund their commitments over time because that's more capital efficient for the LP. It's also got a benefit for the GP, the general partner, the partner who's running the fund, in this case, me. I don't want, and we don't want, our metrics and statistics of how we're doing counted from when we pull down all that money. Because if we pull down the million and we we're going to mm -hmm. put it out over four years, actually, let's say five, because we're making, we're doing this five year kind of thing. Five capital calls over five years, 200K each. And that means 20 million over five years each year. If we take down the 100 million and we don't deploy 80 million of it in the first year, that means that money has no chance to grow and it's right. counting against our IRR, our rate of return. So what you do is you take down only the money you're going to invest, you deploy it, and that money gets calculated, your return from year one. The money from year two that you take down and you deploy in year two, that gets done in 2023. And then hmm. the money you take down in 24, the clock starts ticking for your performance in 2024. So it's very complicated to do in a spreadsheet. You have to take the money you took down. And then you say how much it mo money the uh, uh, internal rate of return over time. And so that's the reason it's it's good for the GP. And it's good for the um, LP, right? So but it sounds like that schedule can mm -hmm. be variable. And this was what was kind of interesting about Sam Lesson's tweets. He yes. tweeted Tuesday and said, I've gotten a staggering number of VC capital calls in the last week. It seems mm -hmm. like everyone has been desperately holding off calling capital and yes. everyone just caved all at once in the last week. And then someone in the replies asked why he might, why this might be happening. And he said, I think everybody spent the last six months stretching capital in coffers to not call more because they know all LPs have just lost a fortune in the stock market, we assume, uh, and would appreciate not having to pay out more, but they could only hold on for so long without calling. So they all just folded mm -hmm. and called. Is this a thing? Like, are the schedules variable or are they set? This out happened at the during time the dot com recession. Yeah, it happened during the Great Recession. And now in our speculative asset recession that I have dubbed the SAR, we had the DR yep. dot com recession. We had the GR, the Great Recession, and now we have the speculative ac uh, asset recession, SAR. During each of these, people who are the LPs are licking their wounds. Their portfolio went down 30%, 40%, who knows? Some cases, 50%. And so they're sitting there going, oh, in order to fund this capital commitment, I got to send cash. Where am I going to get the cash? Oh, I got to sell my Facebook shares. So let's say this uh, family office was sitting on 25 million of Facebook shares. And they just lost 80% of their value because yeah. Zuckerberg decides he wants to be the guy who makes Ready Player One a reality. Mm -hmm. And he's just torched that 25 million is now down to 5 million. Now you're asking him to sell that at the lowest point it's been in order to fund your stuff. And they're mm -hmm. bummed. So what you might say is, hey, I'll just take it easy here. Instead of taking down the million in February, I'll take down 250 in September, and I'll just take down what I need. I'm not going to, I'm going to slow down capital deployment, which is why in a down market, startups can get caught in this. For this six month period, 
they don't have a bunch of cash on hand. Now they have that dry powder commitment, but they don't want to call on the commitment. So you have startup founders going, wait a second, I just saw you raise $250 million fund. We're part of a $250 million fund that you just raised last year. Why can't you give us the money? And they're like, um, well, we're, you know, going to take a wait and see approach. We're going to stand pat here. The numbers aren't where we want to see them, whatever. Mm -hmm. They'll make it a drawn out process. And they'll just fund the most essential words become very discerning. So they're taking down one out of the $4 they thought they were going to do. Instead of taking down the 20 million, they say, we'll just take down five, just as a courtesy to our LPs, because we know the market's going to rebound and we'll make it a little easier on them. So this is a, like a trickle down, maybe a second order effect or a third order effect, we would call this in the industry. Yeah. The second order effect of the down market, the market collapsing is VCs don't take down the money that they're entitled to. So the LPs don't get squeezed. And then who gets squeezed the founders, boom, right, because the VCs are effectively cash strapped. And that's why so even if you see somebody who raised a, 20, a $250 million fund, it's not like they just have that money sitting there and then can write a check hmm. overnight. Listen, a lot of founders are loosey goosey with their personal phone numbers, you know, that can cause chaos. Why? Because now you got somebody's phone number in some sales documents in some corporate emails, and then they leave your company. And then what happens? One of your great clients looks in their email, they look in their docs folder, they find the document, they call that person. Now they've left your company, they're working for a competitor, or the number doesn't pick up and you look super unprofessional. And listen, you got to grow up as a startup. Y nobody wants to spend $100,000 on a phone system in an office somewhere. No, you want flexibility, you want that number to be provisioned quickly and digitally. And that's what open phone does so well. It's pretty simple. We all understand that. So here's what you do. You get open phone, you create business numbers for your team. It just works like an app on your smartphone. It is an app on your smartphone or on your desktop. You pick a number, you install the app, you're done. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. We use open phone in our sales team every day, day in and day out. It's amazing. It's flawless, it's stable. And it, dare I say it's affordable open phone, absurdly affordable. I'm going to say it at $10 a month, but twist listeners can get an extra 20% off any plan for the first six months because they love startups. Sign up at openphone.com slash twist if you want that discount, please do it uh, so that they know we sent you openphone.com slash twist. You got other numbers that you're paying a whole bunch of money for, they'll take them over, right? You can port them over for the cost of $0 and zero cents for free. I want you to head over to openphone.com slash twist today. Openphone.com slash twist. Go do it right now. Okay, well, that gets me to a bonus mm. question. Can I sneak oh, in a bonus question? Of course. I have recently talked to uh, founders who have said that they closed a round mm -hmm. and maybe are raising a next round, mm -hmm. but that we can invest or someone can invest or they're asking other people to invest on a safe note, like as a tweener in between. And so yeah. in some cases, and this has come up with several different founders and it made me wonder, and each one has involved a different case, but in some cases, like it seems like a way to let an investor into a round that's already closed. Yeah. Like, oh, if you just want to put some money in, great. We'll spin up a safe note for you at our last valuation. Super. Sure. Yeah. Or, that's happening a lot. That's happening we'll a lot. Are. Yeah. Or the there's, we will spin up a safe note for you right now because we're opening our next round, but it's taking a while because the term sheet negotiations are going on and we're about to run yeah. out of money. So when you're raising around as a founder, let's say you've raised your seed. Mm -hmm. And let's say for argument's sake, you raise a $3 million seed. At a 12 million post or a 12 million cap and you know you gave away 20 whatever it's 25 percent of the company now you want to raise again and you say you know what i think we deserve a series a going to try to raise 7 million on a 35 million post and you 28 million pre you add the 7 million get to 35. Mm -hmm. nobody wants to lead it because maybe they're not leading rounds right now 
So you say, okay, we're going to, but everybody was talking their, to us. They haven't done their capital call. They haven't done their capital calls. <laughs> yeah. And they don't want to take down 7 million to, to lead you around or five. They're going to do five of the seven. They don't want to take the 5 million. They don't want to ask their LPs, that family office to put in their money. Mm-hmm. So they say, yeah, you know, um, then the founder says, well, wait, I got all these people who are angels or seed funds or, you know, or venture funds. They don't want to lead the round and do a price round and put in 5 million. But they said they'd, they'd like to top off and that 12 million round was really nice. I believe in the company, I don't want to go to 35 million. So maybe we could do a $15 million note, I put in 1.5. Mm-hmm. I don't and then I don't have to take that capital call down or we pass the hat I got 500k in, in the coffers right now. You got two other investors, Jcal and a syndicate or you're going to do a crowdfunding site like Republic, you think you can get 500k there you got five angel friends who want to put 50k in each and you do a pass the hat what's called the party round and people will pursue these in parallel and i mm-hmm. i advise founders to do this if they're having headwinds against the price round start the note and you just do a rolling note you can leave those notes open for a year if your board lets you so you can just say hey we're going to leave the note open if you like somebody we add them to it and then we don't have to do additional paperwork it's not the best hygiene for most vcs they like to close it quick so nobody else gets in at the price they did but we're mm-hmm. in a different world now mm-hmm the reason people wanted to close these rounds is so that the, the escalation and the markup could happen. So they could tell their LPs, hey, look, we got a markup. Now people aren't thinking about markups. Right. Because markups, people are like over them. They're, They're like, yeah, we know these markups right were now. a little... <laughs> we're, we're into survival mode. Right. We want this company to survive so it's not a zero. Yeah. So any money in is good. Yeah. You want to cut... I've been telling a lot of founders. They're like, hey, we did this last round with you at 20, J. Cal. You put in a million. You already own 5%. So you own whatever, 9%. We've got this other group that wants to put in 1.5 at 20 and i'm like great we'll stand pat we'll go from nine percent down to whatever we'll, we'll we'll be diluted a couple points we'll go to 8.5 percent i'm not so worried about the percentage i'm worried about you still being here so right. go ahead go for it interesting interesting time so you're going to see people have a different methodology right and they should have had this six months ago it just sometimes like people who are selling a home and they think it's worth 10 million or whatever they think it's worth three million and they paid two for it, and the market's saying 2.2, and they're telling their broker, I want 3.2, and then I'll negotiate down to three, and the broker's like, I'll do whatever you want, but... Yeah, not gonna happen. People are offering you 2.2 and 2.3, I suggest you take it. Or let's say people were offering 2.5, and like, I suggest you take it, and then all of a sudden, the offers go down to 2.2, because the market got worse, and all of a sudden, mortgage is 7%, and then the person winds up taking that 2.2, they should have just put it out for 2.7, taking Mm -hmm. the 2.6 or 5. But, you know, people in yeah. price discovery sometimes act irrationally well and price discovery is really, price pain- discovery. It's really painful it's painful it it's sucks. good for it's good to know though that that is n- normal and does not represent a non-standard term in, in the sense of being like well if you got in now it's this price and if you get in now it's that price like this mm. is different from all of that it sounds yeah. like like it can cause so. a messy cap table but at the end of the day it gets money in the door or creates an opportunity for like us to get into a something at a seed round price instead of waiting for a series a i think that's right i think that's right yeah oh my god vc stuff yeah i mean it's yeah it's it's a very dynamic industry and it's great that we talk about it every sunday uh because i learn a lot and it forced me to think about this and you know in some cases i don't have an answer in this case pretty simple answer because i've been through it a couple times um as a founder i watch it happen as a journalist covering companies i watch it happen as a founder Uh, and now i'm watching it happen as both a founder and a capital allocator um get the money in the door don't worry about valuation worry about surviving get through nuclear winter i have been saying from the beginning it's going to be six quarters of chaos maybe they're not all down in gdp you have this 2.6 percent 
in the third quarter we grew, I consider it like zero, you know, and I consider the negative one like zero. It's it's all the same stuff. It's just choppy waters and chaos. So consider it a recession, consider it a six quarter down market, hard market that we are now in the third quarter of three more quarters to go. And that analogy we used earlier in the week of this being a tornado. Mm -hmm. And we just got to the center of it. So you flew mm -hmm. through the tornado, you're in the eye of the storm, you're in the eye of the storm, your plane is getting knocked all over the place. Now you got to get out of the storm. Expect it to be as violent or more as we get through the next three quarters. Yep. All right. All right. Let's, well, then I have what two do you got on the show today? On this front for you and the investment. Great. What, what do you got on the? Uh, what do you got for the first, show today? For yeah. Yeah. Ross Bonner uh, is the on this weekend climate startups the CTO of Transera, which mm. is developing ultra efficient air conditioning systems that reduce the impact oh. on climate and grid infrastructure. Awesome. They raised a four and a half million dollar seed round in September led, led by Energy Impact Partners, which is a firm, by the way, that's doing all kinds of interesting stuff in the energy space. The reason this is so interesting is because as temperatures rise, right, mm -hmm. the globe gets hotter, we need more air conditioning. But air conditioning and refrigerants are a huge contributor to greenhouse gases and more warming. And so it's like this mess. Exactly. It's a just a yeah. mess it's up a cycle. It's a badness. flywheel. It's a it's a really bad flywheel that they're hoping to reverse. Exactly. Because if they hell. reverse it, then you could use the air conditioning and have less of an impact, which means that maybe the global temperature would start to level off or go down even. Yep, exactly. What if we could turn this around? And uh, right. so these are commercial air conditioners, consumer are, air conditioners, or like some fundamental tech that other people will put into their air conditioners? It's going to roll out probably to residential. It's pretty early. Huh. It's R&D stage. It's commercializing it. now, but they, hmm. uh, are, they're effectively new technology for heat pumps. Got so it. It, they can be 50% more efficient. And then, hmm. yes, exactly. They will yeah. kind of slowly hard. start to roll out in it, probably yeah. developing countries also where they ah. mean where it's like getting hotter way way faster like if you look at bangladesh and india and these heat bulb events like get that get that uh get that tech out the door guys one of the uh, things people were talking about is you know if you move to these low stack low tax states that a lot of people have been doing or lower cost regions yeah you might have the cost eventually of them becoming very hot like texas and florida oh absolutely uh, and so yeah. it's a very interesting paradox there one of the first things I do before I invest in a company is I look them up and I check on their SEO. I want to see if they understand how to get that free traffic from search engines. You know, the, one of the most basic things you can do to drive free, consistent traffic and make it easy for your customers to find you is SEO. And a lot of people, they, it's, it's a little scary for them, right? They think it's like a black art. They don't understand the basics of it. A lot of the basics of it is just very technical content and basic blocking and tackling. And so you got to call our friends over at Smash Digital. Smash is hyper-focused on SEO and they specialize in high-end link building. This is not a generic digital marketing agency. They only focus on world-class SEO. Founder Travis, also an investor, and he started Smash Digital to help grow the businesses that he runs and invests in. An in-house SEO expert, I would say, going to cost you 75 to 100K a year. And you're going to still need a budget to make great content, to try to get people to link back to you uh, for that content, to send signal to the search engines that you're worthy of traffic. Well, Smash starts as little as 3500 a month. And for a limited time, Smash is offering free audits for Twist listeners at Smash digital.com slash twist. That's right. You're going to get a free personalized video audit of your startup's SEO for free. Smash will map out the exact steps you need to take to outrank your competitors. Again, they're going to do it for free to try to build that relationship with you and show you they're good at what they do. So go to smashdigital.com slash twist, smashdigital.com slash twist.
Ross Bonner is the CTO of Transera, which is developing an ultra-efficient air conditioning system to reduce the impact of climate and grid infrastructure, both huge deals. Ross, welcome to the show. Thanks, Molly. It's good to be here. So tell me, tell me about what you're building. You're building good old-fashioned, good new-fashioned, I guess I should say, air conditioners. Yeah, so um, air conditioning accounts for about 4% of global carbon emissions, and that's a huge fraction. So to give a sense of scale, that's about twice the size of the avi- aviation industry. Um, so you've probably heard about there are a lot of efforts to make aviation clean, run on hydrogen or bio-based fuels, but you've probably heard a lot less about making clean air conditioning. But it's a really big deal. It's a huge, huge carbon impact. And the industry for the past 50 years or so has been driven by things like cost reduction and not as focused on making AC more efficient. So that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Talk a little more about what a big deal AC is and and this kind of like this reality that we're going to also need a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. So the current active units out there is about 2 billion. Um, And that's about the same as the total number of iPhones that are in use since the phone was produced back in in 2008. So the total number of iPhones ever made is about the same number as the number of air conditioners currently in use. So it's already a huge number. And what's even more concerning is that number is expected to triple by 2050. So it's escalating, largely driven by the emerging markets, places like Southeast Asia and India, where the climate is very hot and humid and where today's AC traditionally underperforms. Yeah. And where we should be clear, like it's not a luxury. It's going to be a life-saving situation as these kind of wet bulb heat events get more common. That's right. Yeah, we really see air conditioning as a human right and a necessity to continue having the type of developed standard of living that we've grown accustomed to. So tell me about your product. How does it work? How is it different? How is it better? Right. So I'll start with how your traditional AC, what today's AC works. So A lot of people don't really think about it, but your AC is actually doing two kind of different things. It's managing the temperature, right? That's the thing you think about. You set your thermostat to be a comfortable temperature, but it's also removing moisture to keep the humidity in check. And it's the combination of those two things that results in a comfortable living condition. So your AC has to has to deal with the temp, but it also has to deal with the humidity. And today's AC removes humidity by bringing the the internals of the AC down really really cold and causing water to beat up on them like like water on the side of a cold glass. Mm-hmm. Right? So we've all had that experience your outdoor seating in restaurants or whatever and there's water running down the side of your uh beverage. You're getting you're getting dripped on too from every single AC unit in Brooklyn, right? Basically, as you walk down yeah, the street, yeah, and that's <laughs> ex- it's exactly the same physical phenomena going on there, and so it's a it's a big problem for the efficiency of the AC, and it's also just kind of a 
a barrier that that AC has always had to overcome. How do you get rid of this water? How do you manage it? It creates a lot of problems. Things like mold growth, they can spring leaks like you like you talked about and cause building damage. Really just not not pleasant to have to deal with. So what Transera's done is we've developed a way to pull moisture from the air without having to do that trick of condensing liquid water. And we do this using these really cool new materials called metal organic frameworks or MOFs. So is everything else roughly equal? Like is the like what about that is more efficient in terms of the grid and climate? Yeah. So good question. Like um, why is the water a problem, you know, other than the drips? <laughs> yeah. And the mold. That's a that's real. So people have probably experienced say you walk into like a hotel room or a commercial building, shopping mall, whatever. And I remember this a lot from from my childhood. I grew up in the southeast and after I remember like in high school after class you know, the bell rings, you walk outside and you realize that you were like freezing in there. And so you step out and it's 80 degrees outside and it feels nice. You're like thawing out. And that always struck me as kind of weird because it was like, well, it's not comfortable inside because it's too cold and it's not comfortable outside because it's hot. Right. Mm -hmm. And the reason it turns out that today's AC has to bring that in indoor temperature down too cold to the point that it's just not comfortable is because they need to remove moisture and because the only way to remove moisture is to get the coil really really cold you're left with unpleasant conditions indoors and outdoors and a huge energy bill to to boot right okay i get it so did you invent this technology um yeah so Transera has developed a way of incorporating these uh, special materials into a device that lets us cool the air and pull the moisture out actively. This is like, uh, you can think of it like a sponge. It's, it's pulling the moisture out of the air, but it's not condensing it as liquid water. So there's two benefits, right? There's the benefit in the efficiency because you no longer have to, we call this overcooling. You no longer have to overcool the air to wring the moisture out, but you also don't have to deal with liquid water and all of the bad things that come with that. Right. Um, so then how do they work? Are they like a window unit? Do you install them as central air conditioning? What's the actual mechanism here? Yeah. So the great thing about this tech is it applies across the spectrum, different types of units, window units, portable units, central units can all benefit from this. We are actively developing for the residential market, but we're also running running a demonstrator for the commercial market. So we're developing this technology in parallel. Um, and the goal is to just continue iterating and and improving on the product to get to the point that it's ready for commercialization. Gotcha. So you're in sort of R&D stage now, it sounds like, and targeting this eventual rollout. Tell, tell me where you are as a company. You've raised $4.5 million as a seed round from Energy Impact Partners. Um, how long ago was that? And what does the path to commercialization look like? How long do you think it'll take? 
Yeah, so we raised this summer. EIP was our lead. We raised about four and a half million. Um, and that was that was our seed round. We are right now developing prototypes, and I would say our step now is really aggressively trying to scale up. So we're going from sort of lab scale, testing, benchmarking, things like that, to now can we put this in a product that would be would go on a roof and actually cool a large a large building. How hard is it? Like, how long has this journey been? You're obviously super qualified to do this. You have a master's degree in mechanical engineering from MIT or a mechanical design engineer at GE Aviation. So I'm assuming like however hard it is for you is. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's been um, it's been quite the journey. Uh, I will say so from my side, uh, the way that I sort of got into this is I went back for my master's at MIT and I took a class where it was like a design and build class. So every year they, they give out challenges and then there's a semester of design work and a semester where you actually go build the, build the thing. Mm-hmm. And the challenge the year that I went was how do we make air conditioning carbon neutral? So that was a very difficult problem, very high bar. And I worked with this awesome team at MIT and developed this contraption that was kind of awful looking, but it actually did achieve the the efficiencies that we were aiming for. Could have been powered by a, a, a solar panel, but we built it out of plywood. And through that project, I got connected with Serene Grandma, the CEO here at Transera. And he was looking at the same problem. He was looking at how do we improve air conditioning and specifically looking at, is there a place for these new materials, these metal organic frameworks that could really change the game for air conditioning and, and how might that work? So Serene is an immigrant from Romania. And linked up with uh, Mircea Dinka, who's a professor of chemistry at MIT, um, who has been working on these MOFs for about 20 years. Mm. And they got together. They said, okay, here's the problem. Um, Serene previously had a, a startup that was in refrigeration in India. And so he was very well aware of the scope of the problem and really motivated to try to find a solution to it. And meanwhile, Mircea was working on these new cool materials that can pull moisture out of the air. And they said, wait a minute, we might have something here. A big part of the inefficiency of air conditioning comes from how it deals with moisture. And here we've got these new materials that can can solve exactly that problem. So that was the the spark that really started the company out. And then, like I said, Serene connected with me through my work and on my master's degree and then hired me right out of school. Wow. You guys are the dream team. How big is it still just the three of you as the team? The team must be bigger now. Yeah, the team's grown and we're we're growing rapidly. Um, we're about eight people right now and we're trying to basically double in size next year. And is it carbon neutral air conditioning? So it's not quite carbon neutral in the sense that it still requires electricity. Yeah. But we see it as trying to, we're working against this upcoming energy crunch. Mm-hmm. of demand for AC spiking in 
developing countries, places where the grid is particularly dirty. And we see it as trying to offset the alternative, which is building new coal-fired power plants. Right. Is, and and sorry, does it ahead. still involve the same, sorry, um, chemicals? Like, what's yeah, the sort so of chemical mix here? That's a great question. We get asked a lot about refrigerants, right? Mm -hmm. Because refrigerants are a big contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. To give you a sense, the the one that's pretty much ubiquitous today is called R410. And it's about 2,000 times like gram for gram as harmful to the climate as, as CO2. Mm -hmm. So we are working towards better refrigerants with, they call that global warming potential. So global warming potential is the scale of like how bad it is relative to CO2. R410, the one that's used today is about 2000. And we're currently using one that's about one third that impact. And we're actually looking ahead to future refrigerants, which are, there's a class of what they call natural refrigerants, where mm -hmm. there's no scale factor. They're just about as harmful as CO2. So like a, GOP, a GWP of one. All right, listen, everybody, big news right now. Dell has a sneak peek Black Friday sale going on with up to 50% off. They're going to get you in there early. You can save big on Alienware gaming laptops, which, by the way, you can use for business, too, and you get kind of uh, double duty out of them. I have a, a sick, awesome gaming laptop that I love because it's so fast and powerful. They also have PC towers. If that's your jam, maybe you're a video editor. And that's not the only amazing deal from Dell. If you're a founder or you work at a startup, just apply to Dell for startups. Here's why. You're going to get access to a team of expert IT advisors and they will help you customize your tech stack to make it world-class. And Dell will also help you access capital for building out your tech stack, right? We could always use a little bit of uh, extra financing, right? To uh, extend that runway if you're running a startup and you'll get exclusive discounts for Dell's amazing hardware. And you know, we love Dell here at launch. In fact, we sent every new employee here a gorgeous 39 inch ultra sharp curve monitor. And that happens to be my favorite. I got one here. And I got one right here. Like I said, I recently bought that really fast Alienware laptop. I plug it into that Dell 39 inch monitor. It is extraordinary how powerful this thing is. It is fantastic. Okay, apply for Dell for startups today and get up to 50% off on Dell's sneak peek Black Friday sale. Just head to dell.com slash twist. That's dell.com slash twist. Why aren't those in wider use? I know this is not the core of your business, but I wonder like how hard was it to find that? Is it more expensive? That has always felt like one of those problems that feels like we should have been working harder on <laughs> the refrigerants. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would agree broadly. Um, it's an <laughs> industry that's, that's hard to implement changes in. Mm -hmm. And so developing and enacting those new refrigerant standards is has been kind of a slow road there's a large installed base and so it's difficult in some cases to transition over and the the already installed hardware works with the refrigerants that are out there today and and honestly we're sort of playing catch up a lot of this is we didn't realize the scale of the problem until it was sort of too late and right. now we're kind of playing playing catch up against that but the hope also, of course is as you roll out new technologies like what you're building it will have better refrigerants in it and it can solve maybe two problems at the same time a little bit exactly yeah and to give you a sense right now about 
two-thirds of the carbon footprint of an AC comes from the power consumption over the course of its life, mm-hmm. and about one-third is the refrigerant. So if we move that to maybe now it's only a tenth of the total, and at the same time we increase the, the energy efficiency, we can pretty dramatically reduce that carbon footprint. That's the goal. Okay, that's good news. That's good. That's all good. How? Uh, talk to me about deployment. Like, what is the, will this eventual product that you're building, whether it's for residential or commercial, will it cost less? Like, what does deployment start to look like in places that, where you're facing competition from, you know, I don't know, traditional crappy incumbents, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So that's a a big problem for trying to innovate in this industry is there are a lot of really great solutions out there that are, have great energy savings potential, but they're very complex. And Mm -hmm. those always butt up against the realities of the market where the consumers are very sensitive to first cost. And so our goal is we want to significantly reduce the power consumption of AC, but at a cost that is comparable to the incumbent. And the reason we think that's possible is we're using a lot of the same commoditized equipment that is already deployed in today's AC. The high efficiency compressors, the heat exchangers, all of the internal circuitry and components that make up today's AC are essentially shared with our technology. And what we do differently is we just apply these metal organic frameworks as as a coating. And so the development work that we're doing right now is how do we take these MOFs out of the lab that are just a, a powder dust in the wind and turn them into a robust coating that we can apply into a device and have it last the full life of that device. Right. Got it. So really, in theory, you could take what looks just like a regular window unit, for example coat all of the guts with this moth and have it cost roughly the same, a little bit more, but be yeah, way more efficient. That's the goal. The goal is roughly the same. The goal is cost parity. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality, that might end up, you know, 10, 20% over, but the goal is we want it to be equivalent to today's AC. And yeah, like I said, it's, it's a lot of the same components that are used in today's AC. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it, does use a lot of those same components means that it fits into the same boxes that today's AC fits into. So window units or rooftop units, a lot of the same equipment can be used. And it means that we can fit into those same form factors and and be installed into existing installations. Could it be used, this might be a dumb question, but could it be used with heat pumps? Oh, that's a great some question. Some heat pumps do heating and cooling, right? Are they all sort of... I have one for like a pool that just outputs a crap ton of water and cold air. Yeah. So now I'm thinking like, how do I get that powder in my heat pump? <laughs> yeah. So super good question. Our technology is heat pumps. And oh. I think we sometimes do ourselves a disservice because we call it air conditioning because the energy savings come from that air conditioning side where we're cooling. Yeah. But that cycle can be reversed the same way that it's reversed into a in a heat pump and used the same way that heat pump is used 
I don't understand. How are you not? Then you are a heat pump. You are like yeah. a heat pump, but you're not a heat pump. Thank you, by the way, for disengaging in HVAC 101 here on <laughs> This Week in Climate Startups. <laughs> yeah. So our our device is is a heat pump. Is a heat um, pump. Okay. The And so here's the, the 101 part. But with much more effective moisture control. Yes. Yeah. So the the HVAC 101 part is the difference between a dedicated air conditioner and a heat pump mm-hmm. is the heat pump can reverse the flow of the refrigerant so that what was the cold side becomes the hot side and vice versa. And okay. so the the part maybe if you've got like a mini split the the wall unit that's in indoors in air conditioner mode that's that coil is cold but then you switch it it goes to heat pump mode reverses everything and that turns hot. Um, and our technology does that by default. So it is a heat pump. Got it. Okay. Which is why it can be so we all know that technology to be super energy efficient. And this just fits right into that category. Okay, I got you. Um, thank you for your patience with all of that. And then as you think about this technology rolling out, and maybe you haven't thought about it that much, but I'm sort of interested in this, this intersection of like adaptation and resilience and mitigation. And some solutions are one or the other. But yours is really, really both. That's the goal. Yeah. So we really see it as like the intersection of efficiency and affordability. And if we can't achieve both at the same time, then we're doing the wrong thing. So we're driven by that impact that we can have and really driven by those emerging markets where the demand is going to be big enough to have significant climate climate impact. And then finally, what will the business model be? Like, will you be licensing this technology or will you be selling actual air conditioning devices? So little column A, little column B. Mm-hmm. Um, we are working with industry partners to get to scale very quickly. And we're also working to internally develop and potentially sell our own devices. In residential AC, maybe portable ACs, we're developing our own our own residential products which would likely be sold through a white label agreement. And then on the commercial side, we're working with our industry partners carrier to develop commercial RTUs. Can you give me a sense of eventual cost? Let's say the individual unit, if I were to buy one for like my garage office here. Yeah. So um, I, I won't give you a sticker price just yet. I think we're too far out for that, but I will say, Again, the goal is cost parity. So if you see our product in Home Depot and you see the competitor next to it, the sticker price should be roughly equivalent. And then how will I know? Like, what do you think? What do you imagine? You know, because clearly, based on my stupid questions, it's a complicated topic. I wonder what, what does that education, that customer education and eventual kind of branding look like? Yeah, so our model, at least for the residential products, is we'll brand it as like Transera Inside. So mm-hmm. Transera enabled technology and probably a big bright sticker that tells you how much energy you can save. So then hopefully the decision point for the customer is I see product X on the shelf and it says, you know, it says nothing or it says whatever. And I see this Transera inside that's the same price, roughly the same first cost. And it says it'll save me 50% energy. So that's the point that we want to get to, to really define success. Yeah. 
And then give me a sense of, I will not hold you to it, but give me a sense of timeline. Like when might I see this in Home Depot? Yeah. So our focus for this, the near term, say the next 18 months is proving out our tech with these demos and working with these partners, trying to line up those commercial agreements to, to scale. And then getting to the next step then would be actually getting those products out there in the market. I would say that's probably on the three to five year horizon. All right. Great. Good. Get to it. It's heating up out here. Ross is. is CTO of Transera. Thank you so much for the time and the patience. I appreciate it. Thanks, Molly. All right, everybody. That's Sunday. Thanks for watching. Tomorrow's Monday. And the craziness starts all over. Yes, it does. Who knows what this week has in store, but man, <laughs> if, if this past week is any indication... My lord, it's going to be pretty entertaining next week. Well, next week, just side note, election day. So, oh, is that what's happening this week? My lord, I forgot about November eighth. Going to be a thing. <sighs> you know what? I just had a lot of press asking me to talk about a, a varying array of topics, and one of them was, "Can you come talk about the election?" It's mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah. just not from a social media angle. Some things happen sometimes on platforms yeah. that are relevant to this. Yes. No election. changes have been made, uh, from what I've read. So. Mm. that's a week so anyway it's coming up we'll see you then yeah. see get you then. get your rest while you can folks <laughs> <laughs>